peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Welcome back to another Softly Performance Podcast. What's going on, guys? Matt and I bringing you a little coffee talk on this bright and early Friday morning. Now, what's going on? Uh, pretty much... Matt and I haven't had a conversation with each other on a microphone, just us two in a in a month or so, and we decided to go ahead and bring it on and allow ourselves to kind of just have some autonomy in our conversation and wander and not so much rigor or controlled uh, uh, direction. And, and, and it kind of opens the podcast into exactly what we're going to talk about today. And this kind of started off of due to the fact that, one, we just got done finishing a big part of a uh, project that we're working on, and we're getting ready to move it over to the next phase. And that's been a big thing for us due to the fact that we've been working on it for a while, haven't we, Matt? Yeah, well, like, I th- I think I've been working on it with you for probably nine months or so, and then you've you've been like nine months to a year before that, like yeah. yourself. So yeah. it's been a long, a long time coming. Yeah, it was one of those things when when you came onto came onto the company, I was at pretty much a standstill because I didn't know where to go with it anymore and how to honestly, I didn't I guess you can say I was missing a perspective that you carried that I didn't have and it's been really cool to kind of start to adapt that um that skill set of really understanding how to tie in the science as we've talked about in the past with the anecdotal experience that we do have here at Softly which has only helped us level up. And, and again, we're in this trajectory right now of, of of development from the human performance side that has allowed us to really, one, put out some great information. I mean, I keep getting text messages and I keep getting direct uh, messages on social media. And, you know, it's not the fact that they get shared. It's not about that for us, but it's the fact of like, yo, what it's doing on a very local level of terms of like, I'll get one or two people. Hey, that podcast was awesome. Well, it's cool. What did we just affect there? We hopefully just affected 20 people because one person's going to affect 10 people from there. And again, that, that has been a really big part of, you know, our development process with, with Softlead over time is that word of mouth, social proofing of, of the results that have happened. So bringing it full circle, we just got done with this project, which has been awesome. We've been working on it for a while. We're moving into the next phase. We have a lot of really cool different things coming up. And, and, you know, in the past, we really didn't have as much things to talk about for me, at least from my perspective, when I first started the podcast in terms of like creative projects and things like that. I didn't really have that development side, and I don't think I had really tapped into it just yet. And it was just really just creating strength conditioning programs. Ultimately, that's what it was. And Today, our our percentage of the strength conditioning programs that we are writing have actually lowered compared to the way I was doing them back in 2017, 2018, 2019, and it really didn't start slowing down till last year when we realized, you know, how much different styles of training programs we have under these teams, and it's just, it's amazing, right? To be able to say that, like, yes, we have written this many programs for these different types of events and these different types of objectives and outcomes. And these all have led to X for somebody. And it's kind of one of those things is like, all right, cool. The method and the madness is working. We understand what we're doing. And now we're moving into a phase of taking that and really putting it into a very continuous education format. Because honestly, for me, man, I was talking to the wife about this this morning, being able to take the experience that I actually had from a from a reality of me actually doing it and then putting it now into this white space onto a piece of paper 
and creating this development to where now we're creating this whole new analog that we're going to be doing in person or writing books or putting podcasts out. Like we're doing this digital thing and then we're creating this physical thing from a different perspective because we've been able to go ahead and do the physical thing for quite some time with very great success. And it kind of allows you to like open the door to understanding how to manipulate training, not just for yourself, but for the individual when you go ahead and hear what their lifestyle is like and what they are training for and what their goals are. And realistically, where is, is their mentality at? Are they really trying to, you know, put all the pressure on a goal or are they very balanced and relaxed and manage the chaos quite well? Mm-hmm. And one thing that you said, you know, um, prior show, cause we started talking about this from the idea of, we've talked about on the show before wandering rigor and we haven't really dove quite deep into it in the past. I think we just kind of hit the wave tops. And I think this conversation is a really good time to kind of go into there and understand what does this wander and rigor mean? We can even break it down to controlled and autonomy or autonomous, uh, however you want to look at it. And, and, you know, I'm really excited to start bringing out some of these ideas now that we're kind of getting things off our plate, just because when you finish something, you're able to question it. And from that question, you get new problems. And from that new problems, you start to get new solutions. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's huge. And, and kind of like you were saying, being able to look back over like the, the different styles and types of programs that you, you've sort of developed over the years gives you like a really good opportunity to like reflect on kind of like you said, well, how work what would happen if i changed x y and z or if if the athlete was x y and z and like once you can once you can start kind of um making making those kind of connections off the back of some of the theoretical stuff we've done where you're you're like you're forced to kind of write like well this is this is my this is how i feel about topic a today and this is how it links to topic b and topic c and based on that this is what the programming is going to look like. I think that's that's kind of a really important moment in like the, I guess the the kind of continued development and, and like evolution of this stuff because it means we can hopefully look back in two, three, four, five years and think, eh, well, that bit was all right, but but this bit we can probably do better now based on what we know and what we've what we've experienced. But like you have to kind of start with that, like, okay, this is what we think about this and and that's where some of the theoretical stuff's been been really cool because it's it's kind of almost like uh um like giving us a bit of a sounding board to to sort of work from i think yeah it's it's really interesting too when we go to look at it from a sounding board perspective i was listening to a podcast yesterday with cal deets on the drive back from the total archery challenge and this is what actually got us into this conversation was our meeting opened up with asking how yesterday went i i got to shoot the total archery, total archery challenge out here in park city and it was a blast. It was my first time shooting 3D in quite a few years, man, honestly. It was uh, something I did growing up as a kid. You know, I had a, okay. my uncle got me into it at a very young age, and I shot for quite some years and then got into the military and picked the rifle up and went through all that. And then as I got out, I really didn't touch much shooting here and there maybe once in a while. <clears throat> and then I picked it back up, you know, a couple years ago and kind of been doing it, I would say, consistently in my own manner, meaning I'll shoot once every two months, once every month. That's just, that for me, that's the thing. I don't need to go to it every single day, but events like yesterday, the Total Archery Challenge, it it was really cool to be able to kind of get out there and, and trust my fundamentals and the foundation and understand and see this idea of a sounding board of, oh no, I've always been practicing the foundations of X, Y, and Z. 
I should be able to go out and do X, Y, and Z with those foundations at any given moment in my life. And that's been a really big piece of that. And you said this last week as I was talking about the event that um, that's coming up in a, in, a few, in a couple months. And we were looking at, it's like, how are we going to blend it into training just because of how busy I've been? And it's kind of been one of those things where I'm like, I'm, I haven't really been able to kind of look at him just kind of in the... I'm taking it like day by day right now just because we just yeah. got getting married. We just got kind of all this stuff and I'm just kind of like navigating. So what I'm doing is I'm preparing myself from a conditioning, not from a fitness standpoint, but from a psychological conditioning perspective of getting my mind ready for what's to come down the road and utilizing something like the Total Archery Challenge where I put a 20-pound pack on my back for five hours yesterday. And I might not have not hiked more than five miles over maybe 2K and climbing, a little less than that. But I was I was on my feet for five hours. I was shooting. I was cognitive. I was psychologically on, but in a way that I enjoyed it. And that for me was this idea of wander. Right? There was enough mm. challenge and enough skill in there to go ahead and challenge me just enough, but to be a wandering type experience, which allowed for me from a psychological perspective to recover, to feel what it felt like to, you know, Hey, where am I at right now? Can I get this done? Can I train for this thing? Is this where I'm ready to go at? It really allows me to kind of settle in and let my, my, honestly, my brain start to, uh, you know, repair whatever, you know, previous stressors it's recovering from to then regenerate and move forward and prepare for follow on. And it's the same idea when we go look at all these training programs the idea of the sounding board, it's like, well, mm. we know from a biological standpoint that if we create stress in a positive way, it will create positive adaptations. End state, we know that. Well, how do we go ahead and create positive stress? Because stress is stress, it doesn't matter, it doesn't have a name to it. We as the human, our our brain, that organ that's connected to the mind creates its own thought process behind what that stress is. And of course, is there certain types of um, you know negative and positive and neutral type stressors in our day? Yeah, we 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 are the ones that create that baseline and that uh and that that ranking system. That kind of perception, almost correct, right? That that type of perception. So it kind of opens the door to being like, well, how do I get someone to recover from a psychological perspective? Or when I'm building this general physical and psychological preparedness block, right? And you like how I added that extra P in there. Um, because it is the same, right? And I talked about this in a writing I did this morning where the heart and the brain are both organs. They're two different systems from a, from a personality perspective, right? But from a biological perspective, they're organs. And Mm -hmm. what do organs need? Well, I I was just going to say, it's kind of second to your, to, to your point really that like almost the more we the more we kind of discover about like the the kind of biology and physiological side of things, the more they're like things like that are appearing to be two separate systems. It's effectively like all part of the same system um, that, that kind of like everything kind of functions off everything else. So like trying to separate those two out, like trying to silo kind of how the heart and the brain work in to kind of use your example, kind of gets harder and harder, like with the, with the deeper we get into kind of understanding some of this stuff. Correct. So it's the idea of like, when I know like I'm looking at to create a ro- robust, stronger, powerful, less prone to in, uh, to disease, um, injury, I know that I have to create a very positive and, uh, type of stress progression to allow for them to recover, see the right adaptations and to continue moving forward. Well, what I've taken is that same idea. I've kind of 
adjusted that into the psychological, the brain aspect, right? It's like, okay, cool. At the end of the day, I'm just looking at how how efficient does the function of the heart work? What how efficient does the function of the brain work, right? Because again, if the if the function is low, then how are they going to perceive a stressor or some type of you know we use the heart if we look at the heart is overstressed, then it becomes very much more sensitive to other stressors, other types of physicality. And we look same thing with the brain. If we go and look at the brain, it's overloaded. What ends up happening? It creates a, a increase in sensitivity to stress, and it slows down the function in which how we recover, repair, and move forward with that to increase the capacity in which to handle follow-on stressors for whatever's to come. So, bringing that full circle because we had I, I like to go down the little tiny science side of things, <laughs> and we bring it back. The idea of that, right, is like, well, then let's go ahead and look at this idea of what is wander and rigor and what does wander do for you and what does rigor do for you? And the cool thing yeah. is Matt and I both have read the same book to, and I I have to give credit where credit's due who got me onto this. My buddy Michael Blevins, he uh, recommended this book to me due to the fact of the idea of wander and rigor and we, we kind of went down a conversation of how we look at these two and it really kind of like started giving me this... Uh, this idea of transparency when it comes to looking at strength conditioning from a totally different <laughs> angle uh, and thought process, which has been really cool because it's helped actually balance out um, and connect and, and stitch some some of these systems and theories and methods that we've done over the time together and why they work today. Mm, yeah, I think you can you can gain so much from like with our, our recent conversation with Tony Nash. Like you can gain so much from looking across into other disciplines and yep. like seeing how how they look at things, how they kind of like problem solve and tackle stuff. Because it start it kind of makes you re reevaluate. Well, like am I am I doing this as efficient as as efficiently as I as I could be, or can I be can I like maybe take some stuff from um, like aviation, for instance? Can yeah. I take some of their methods and, and some of their protocols and, and try and like utilize some of their ideas um it, yes it's it's really i think that's that's kind of the way that this whole thing moves forwards yeah so when i look at it from that so when we go ahead and look at wander right wander is something that allows us to do what we want right that's the wander it's doing something we want it's fueling something inside of me that keeps me living right it's something i enjoy when we look at rigor rigor's more of something that you have to do it's part of life you have to get it done to go ahead and keep um the the most minimal needs as a human possible like those things you need to sleep you need to eat healthy you need to go ahead and drink right like and you need some kind of roof over your head for security those things I wouldn't put into the idea of, oh, I'm doing that to wander. No, it's like that's something that's a rigor. You need that. At the same time, it could be I have to get this training session done today because of the fact that it's going to help with X, Y, and Z. That is a rigor type event or experience. Now, someone who wants to go hiking and they're going to use their training for a hiking and camping weekend, that is a little bit more wander right? Like it's something I get to do. I enjoy camping. I love camping. I love doing that. I'm not saying I don't love training, but it's just two different perspectives and being able to switch and transition between the two is the goal to ultimately allow for you to see these, these, these ideas of positive stress and to go ahead and see positive adaptations. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of, I mean, it kind of goes back to, to what you were saying before about like perception. 
So yeah. like it could be on paper, it could be the exact same thing. It could be, so say a five hour ruck at let's say 25, 30 pounds. That could either be perceived as a training session, like, okay, I'm going to set my stopwatch. I'm, I know my route. I'm going to get out and just get it done. There's, well, I'm instead of sandbags, I'm going to put some sandwiches in. I'm going to put a flask, maybe some like stuff for overnighting. And I'm going to go out with a group of friends and we're going to walk up a trail, find somewhere to hunt, somewhere to camp and then come back the next day. So you've effectively done the same thing, but like the perception of, of, what that was like as a stimulus is very different you've gone from it being like a grind and really hard work which again isn't a bad thing but it is perceived differently to something which is is much more social and and probably kind of um and it's it's like that i I guess it's it's that kind of idea of not underestimating the value of play and like games within within training it doesn't have to be like old school eastern block kind of soviet style like really formalized it it can it can include fun and games and stuff and that's that's great that's fine yeah well it goes back to the ideas like and again i'm not saying that we don't need those types of that mentality or that kind of block or that kind of training phase because 100 it's needed it's Mm. part of the brain it's what helps the brain grow and adapt but this is another part of the of 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 the brain that actually helps regenerate and create this massive support block to allow for you to go ahead and go do those that those things right that high stress experience or event to where you have everything in the in the in the in the i guess you could say in the toolbox to allow for you to go ahead and be successful in that manner you know when we go ahead and see someone in, in terms of they have too much rigor in a training program what ends up happening to them it's typically that's kind of where you see burnout that's Correct, right? And they go and they don't probably hit the numbers they need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, sorry, I don't want to derail your your point too much, but just as a really quick aside, I think that's something we have to be really careful with in like youth sport in particular. Yep. Like, not training a child like a mini adult, like, like they need to have play and and like it needs to be fun rather than kind of looking across at what a, a pro athlete's doing and trying to like water it down almost. Yeah, because I think I think like you said that, dude. It's crazy. So it's funny you bring that up because I was gonna go with the wander aspect. Was like if you have too much wander, what ends up happening? You you are very unsuccessful most of the time unless you got really lucky. But there comes a time where it's like, all right, cool. How do we go ahead and balance the two? And I think you did. I like the fact that you bring up the kid, the kid playing sports or the children playing sports. Because again, at the, end of the, at the end of the day, no matter the age, from a biological standpoint, their heart and their brain work exactly how your heart and brain work from a systems and a biological response standpoint. The difference between those two are is one system isn't as efficient and doesn't have the training history of living life as much as the older person does. So it doesn't take away from me not training the athlete a specific way. Maybe now it's like I have more wander days or more play days in a week than I do have some kind of controlled and rigor training sessions, right? And I'll use an example like my daughter's out here for the summer and she just got into playing softball. She's eight years old. She oh, doesn't. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, and something for me, man, I really don't believe kids should start playing like recreational group sports like that until they're seven, seven or eight years old. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, 
have the kids run, jump, swim, bike, do all those kinds of things growing all the way up, but don't put them in organized sports until they're seven or eight, because realistically they don't, they don't get it. They don't, I, from my, from my point of view and what I've seen is it's, it's hard on this. It's hard on the kid, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's more for the parents. And I think we can spend more time teaching them to run, jump, play, move their body in open space those kinds of things, gymnastics, dance, all these different types of things to where it allows them to understand their body. Because what happens is when they start getting into these recreational sports, and, and this is something I've I've seen, is they have no idea how to play, right? Why? So they get put into this environment where it's not a play environment, it's a competition train environment. And these kids get really what? They get really demotiva- demotivated, the, the satisfaction of being there is no longer there. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like that moment in time is where you have to teach them how to play and how to practice, I guess, is is the two terms I would use. Because my daughter now, going back to having her out here, I went to go pick up, we picked up a bat, like 15 softballs and, and her, she brought, and we got her a new glove because she needed a bigger one because she was growing out of it. And we got her t-ball stand and, you know, and I literally, last week we trained three days out of the week. We haven't trained since last week and she's been busy playing a kid and stuff like that. But she needs to recover from our training session because it was completely different and from a psychological perspective, not from a physicality perspective. And I mean, what I say that is like, what we did was like, I broke her down in how to set up for a swing, for a, uh, for a swing and how to bat as I would a weightlifter teaching them how to snatch and clean and jerk. I focused on three, the three main things, stance, grip, and position, right? Hey, get your stance in the box. All right, now get your grip on the bat. All right, now get into a good, strong, powerful position and hold it. Sweet. And we went through steps like that, dude, multiple times. And her response to this was, Daddy, my coaches don't teach me this or do the way you do that. And again, it wasn't the fact that I know how to, it's not that I'm a softball coach, I just understand the foundations of strength conditioning from an athletic perspective and to go ahead and get hip drive, to get all that stuff, you need to be in good positions. You need to have a powerful position. You need to know how to move the body. So we started doing that and then I started letting her know, it's like, hey, look, you know, when you bat, it's not just upper body because like that's what she was doing. She was just swinging upper body, no hip drive, nothing. And I go, you know, you need to go ahead and rotate the hip as you bring your shoulder around. So I started like, and so no bat, we just practice throwing and I gave her like a little tiny rock and I just made her throw like from her, from her hip and do that. And she started, she was like, oh daddy, it's like shooting stars for the hip. You know <laughs> yeah. how a shooting heart goes in an yeah, angle? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how she re- remembered it. And she yeah. started doing shooting hearts of the hip. So I started seeing her add the hip in and you can tell when the hip drive comes in just from that, that that snap, you know, it's just like, mm. so I was like, all right, cool. So then I put the baseball tee up and we sit there, the baseball tee I was like, Hey, all I want you to do is I put it at, at her level where she needs to be at. And I, I was like, Hey, all I want you to do is keep your eyes on the baseball tee. And I just want you just to finesse nice, elegant, just hit the top of the baseball tee. I want to hear it, you know, just flip. I was like, but what I want to see is I want to make sure that, you know, your hips and your shoulders are moving together, but how do we set up first? And she would get set up, she would create tension, and I would tell her and hold her, have her hold for three to five seconds, and then she would swing. 
right? It, and, and you would see this hip drive come through. You'd see this bat swing. And it was instead of her like chopping or hacking at it, she was actually swinging and watching the bat just come through. And it was a really cool thing to see because it was, again, just the basic foundations of stance, grip, and position. And then teaching her how to drive that hip or how mm. to move the hip in that way. She had never been taught it. Yeah. And that was a really cool thing because, again, when I go and teach a weightlifter how to weightlift, instead of the hips being laterally driven, the weightlifters being uh, hips are now ex extending, right, to create power. It's the same thing there. So it was really cool to have that moment with her. Mm. Um, yeah. Kind of connecting the dots between, like, different, dude, so different and, patterns and, and, and things. Dude, again, six, seven years ago, I don't think I would have been able to do that. I think I would have sat there and just tried to, like, get her to swing balls and bats and I slowed everything down and we played. Yeah, I just I let say, her play. Made it play, made it fun. Yeah. Correct. Right. Yeah. And then, so we started like, you know, one day we, we went out the next day to do uh catching cause she's, you know, again, she doesn't know how to catch a ball. You know, she throws her hand out and flicks the wrist. And I'm pretty sure all kids, you know, all kids do that. That's just a natural reaction. So <clears throat> I was going to say, like, sounds pretty familiar to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, you're right. Like the, the automatic thing is to catch and throw her wrist down to protect herself is automatically the first thing and like having a breaker from that. So I was like, hey, look, put your glove down or you're going to catch with both hands only. I was like, so I started mm. tossing her softballs, you know, from like five feet or like 10 feet away here, catching them. And she would catch them, like drop them, catch them, drop them, catch them or however else. And so I was like, all right, cool. Let's move to the glove. So I moved to the glove. Yeah. And right away, I was like, hey, look to try and catch in the webbing, right? You know, when you catch and and, and always wide glove, just, you know, simple, s small cues that I think every parent should be able to teach their kid. They're not a softball coach if they played some kind of baseball. <laughs> um, so and I was doing that, right? But she every time she tried to catch the palm of her hand. Why? Because the drill that I had her doing, she was catching with the palm of her hand. Mm, cool. So, yeah, yeah. So then I was like, all right, hey, I know that you're catching with the palm of your hand when we were without the without the glove. I was like, your glove now is going to here to protect you so you don't have to catch with the palm of your hand so it doesn't hurt. It's like you catching the webbing. Dude, we started throwing balls, dude. I mean, we practiced for 30 minutes, man. She was like catching them, boom, boom, over 30 minutes. And like, was it an easy session for her to like, I had to get a little bit of that rigor in there for her to realize and understand because I was like, hey, look, dude. I was like, you're playing a sport that takes a lot of patience but you also have to be able to react really quickly from that low stress and like that and then go. I was like, so you don't always have to be so, um, what was it? She was like being so chaotic, like so um, just wanting to get after it. Right? It was like, hey, that there's a time and place for it. I was yeah. like, but softball is a very, and I don't want to say a slow game. It's a very methodical and elegant and and. Uh, a game that you have to understand that like, hey, it takes practice. I was like, hey, look, you just can't be a good hitter. You have to be a good catcher as well. You have to be able to catch a ball. Like, that's what it is. Um, so it was really cool to kind of do all those things. And like, we did lateral drills with her hands on the ground as like ground with grounding balls. And she had never worked like lateral steps left and right, you know, at her thing. So I was like, all right, cool. We're going to yeah. practice this now. So again, it was just a play session. And, you know, and she enjoyed it. We haven't practiced in three days. But it's um she's out like going to a friend like going pool with a friend or she's out going to doing something or she's playing with sister and balancing out to where it's not a rigorous and she's like hey dad can we play softball today I was like yeah we can go play softball today you know but yeah, that's I mean, the, that's, that's perfect, the language isn't it? she yeah she's leading it yeah 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 that's, and like that's, that's so kind cool. of 
that's kind of where it is right now with that, right? It's like, okay, cool. I'm just going to let her lead me. I'm not going to lead it. I'm just going to go ahead. And when she asks me, I'm like, all right, cool. Let's go do it. Yeah. And I, th- I think like to, to kind of go back to what you were, you were talking about, like at the, at the top of the show, like that's, that's something that we shouldn't forget as adults. Like it should be, be it training or, or, or however you want to term it, it should be fun. Like you should be kind of looking forward to the, afternoon or the next morning or whatever it shouldn't be like oh my god i've got to go and i've got to go and hit another round of, of squatting and benching it should be it should be kind of excitement and i think yeah. if if it's not that or when it's not that's probably like there should be warning bells that something's not quite right and it might it might not be like the programming it might be like other things are going on yeah. but that's definitely when when we start kind of losing the the wonder with stuff that should be fun um yeah it, it, it's definitely time to kind of have a look well, and I'll use another example. You know, I have a, my buddy, he uh, he's going to be shooting with me on Sunday and he's texted me so far because I shot yesterday and he's just been, he's like, I'm super nervous about shooting, you know, in this kind of environment at this distance. And he's only been shooting for about a year, but you know, his mentality is a rigor mentality. Mm, yeah. So automatically without even, without even thinking about it, his mind went right away to oh my God, this is a competition. The pressure is on me already from this rigor mentality. And again, do you need that rigor mentality when you're getting ready to go up there and shoot your bow and be like, all right, cool. I need to focus in. All right, relax. Okay, cool. Perfect sight picture. All right, I'm good. Do everything right in that moment. Yes, but it doesn't need to be a constant all the time because then that's the the inefficiency of of you utilizing that organ in a, in a way to where when it's time yeah. to actually shoot this weekend, you might not have none of the resources to go ahead and allow for you to go ahead and tap into that place to do so. Yeah. Super costly, isn't it? That's like driving with, or like, or what would you kind of, what would you go in terms of like, if, if you were, I don't want to say coach, but if you were kind of in a position where you could like offer some advice and, and things like that. I mean, that, I'm like, going to offer some advice, obviously, just yeah, because yeah, that's, you... that's just where we're boys on that. And it, it really kind of one of those things is it's just like, dude, it, honestly, it's a conversation and like, there's no, there's no scoring. There's no one judging you. It's going to be you and I, and probably another guy with us. I was like, we're out there to shoot and have fun. Like this is your break off of work. Things you get to do. You hunt already like what's the difference between that all you're really doing now is just getting ahead, getting out there with your friends shooting your bow and testing your skills who cares if you lose an arrow or if you miss or do whatever else like it's not the end of the day like it, this is this isn't a this is a wander type mm. low stress day like yeah are we gonna be hiking probably for four to five hours sure is it gonna be warm sure but guess what like the body enjoys that and yeah it's going to be a blast. And, I, and honestly, that would be the conversation. And then obviously I'll be with him the whole time anyways. So I will be mm. able to be that balance of wander for him to his rigor. Yeah. Well, I was going to say there's a lot of parallels there between that and what you were just describing you were doing with your daughter. Like Correct. In, in terms of just like how the, the pressure, I guess, in quotations will be on when it comes to shoot. Like, just like well you you do have to concentrate on where the ball is going to land in the in the glove and what you're thinking about but the the kind of the process of doing it needs to be fun and correct and like well, like engaging well it goes back to this last paragraph that i wrote for this for this writing i did this morning um and it's wander and rigor come hand in hand over time allowing the athlete to detach from the uh, from the control training session creating their own independence allowing the brain to break down repair and recover from previous stresses preparing for follow-on stress 
mm-hmm. ultimately. And, and yeah. it's the same thing here, right? It's like, hey, look, dude, you know, hey, use this training, use this time out in the mountains with your homies to shoot your bow as a wanderer and let just enjoy being out there and like take into the account that you're able to walk to these mountains and put your bow up to your, you know, put the bow up, pull the string back and be able to, you know, focus in, dial in, take a deep breath in and just relax completely. Boom. And send it. It's just kind of, it's like, yeah, you know, but it's again, that just goes to show the difference between someone who has a wander mentality and who has a rigor mentality and how do we balance those two out? Can you have a rigorous mentality and still utilize a wander mentality? And do you, can you still utilize and be a, a primary wander mentality and still utilize rigor? A hundred percent. I think that's, that's what allows us to go ahead and meet that, that, uh, that purpose and passion in our life to our ultimate potential, I believe. Mm-hmm. So what what would you advise them? So if, you, if someone's listening who's kind of thinking like, maybe I'm maybe I'm kind of a bit stuck in the in the the rigor side of things. Like, obviously we we know within the, the tactical community, like particularly at the moment, work work can definitely be very demanding and and can be like, we're not generally in professions where you can just go and fuck about. You can't like, oh. Uh, I'm a police officer. I'm going to go around and have some fun with my handcuffs today. It's very, no. it's very different. Like it's, you know, you, you have, you have to be, um, there has to be like an element of that, of that kind of that, I guess that rigor or the structure. Yeah. But if you, if you've got someone who's in that kind of situation, who feels like every, everything kind of feels like a task and everything feels like a chore, what, what would you kind of advise them? What would you, you sort of suggest they try? This is, Ultimately, one, give yourself some grace. And like, and what I mean by grace is like have some empathy and compassion for yourself that like, hey, like what you've done has gotten you to this point to help you survive. And it's okay to make some adjustments and changes. But for some actual steps, dude, I think the first thing that I did for myself and something I've I've, you know, helped other athletes out who have asked us questions is like write down a few things that you enjoy doing as a kid and which like what brings you enjoyment ultimately, right? Like for me, I'm not the greatest guitar player. Like I'm not at all. Can I strum and make some noise and do that thing? Sure. You know what? Can I go ahead and grab a drum and make some beats and do that? Sure. That's fun and that's wondrous for me, right? Like that doesn't take much rigor. I just get there and start to kind of wander and play with it and just kind of like be present with it. So that's the thing I enjoy doing. Why I grew up playing music as a kid. I played in the orchestra. I did these things. So it was like, what's the most simple and basic thing I can do without, <laughs> you know, causing too much from it and 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 respecting that that tool or that thing as that wander um same thing for reading right like i enjoy reading a lot and it's something i've done as a mm. as growing up in general i don't i might not have been the greatest writer or the best speaker for the while and i'm getting better at it but i enjoyed reading why because i really enjoyed just the 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 storyline behind it and, and being able to see how people do that thing because it's a very nice art and i don't think i connected those dots until recently oh i enjoy physical exercise right like I enjoy physical exercise, not in terms of always on a training program, but I enjoy, you know, being able to be a very multifaceted human being, run, swim, bike, hike, you know, put a pack on, go shoot my bow, go shoot a long gun, you know, do all these things, but also go into a gym facility and do those things. So like those things I like to utilize. So it just started going back full circle, write down a few things that you find enjoyable that doesn't that's not a rigorous thing. So if, if your job is rigorous, right? If you, let's say that you've been training really hard for the past six months and it's, and you're not really having any kind of specific event coming up in the next two or three months. Um, 
you know, or four months, like it's okay to go ahead and play, have some rigor in there. What is it you like to do? Do you want to go camping? Do you want to go rock climbing? Do you want to go ahead and stop, you know, go test a new thing out, go shoot a bow, right? Like those are the things and same thing. Like another thing I like shooting my bow sometimes, like that's just the thing I get to do. I like weightlifting. I like doing those kinds of things. So it's like, I'll utilize that to break up the monotony of rigor. Right. Mm. And, and what I'm saying, I'm looking at that from a full overarching lifestyle perspective, right? There's certain things in our life that are, that require rigor for us to get through and for us to maintain where we're at. But then there's also things from a wander perspective that we need to utilize to balance out that rigor to allow for us then to recover, regenerate, repair, and move forward, right? That's the thing here. And that's kind of the idea. And we can look at it from a deload perspective. We can look at it, whatever, but it's just kind of one of those things where, like we said, at the top of the show, right? Ultimately, if I, if, if I'm doing something, I'm going to question it, right? Okay, cool. And if there's a problem that arises from it, what am I going to do from that? I'm going to look for a solution for it. That's ultimately what it comes down to is being able to be like, all right, cool. Is this rigor good for me? Is it creating any problems? Because if so, how do I go ahead and provide solutions? Well, fuck, if I'm working eight to 10 hours a day, I'm sleeping like shit, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and it's causing problems outside of my work, but I know that I need that in my rigor, how do I balance out that rigor? Well, what do I, what can I do from a wander perspective? Well, maybe I can go out for a hike. Maybe I can go ahead and take a nap. Maybe I can go ahead and go get my nails done if I was a female or maybe go get a massage um, or go and do a training session that is completely outside of what you've done in the past and just, like you said, play, play and just play mm -hmm. and just create different things that allow for you to develop this, this flexibility and this, this transferability and transparency between rigor and wander. I think that's where the, the the social side of things can be really important as well. Like you, like you were kind of talking about one of the highlights of of doing the archery shoot yesterday was that you got to hang around with that that kind of group of friends. Dude, I had um, never met them before. It was a whole new group. Oh, was it? okay. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Same, but, same kind but of thing. You're all... interacting with people. Dude, yeah. Like if you were just on the range on your own. Well, it's funny too because like that idea there, like all these guys are either hunters or like that shoot really well. Or they're like mountain adventure athletes who are just like pushing the limits and and you're just like, holy shit, I'm like next to some really cool dudes who are down to earth and who are who do completely different things outside of bow of out of archery and are out here fucking shooting, you know, like that was the cool thing was to be able to see that everybody in that group was utilizing archery as a way to like break the monotony from the rigorous side of their lifestyle. Hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, having, having been with the company while coming on a year-ish, I think like nine, 10 months, something like that. Um, like the, how diverse, like the community within Softly is like in terms of kind of staff, but also in terms of athletes and, and people who are, who are like part of the, the setup. It's, it's awesome. Like there's, there's so many kind of different things on things, but there's that, that kind of theme or that central core of, of people like just want to try and get the, the most and the best out of life. Well, it's funny. So like I did a podcast, uh, that just dropped at the, a, a company called was like conquered podcast. And we actually, he asked me, he's like, Hey, what is like a tactical professional, you know, mean to you? And, 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 and I said it on there, it was kind of came down to the idea of that, you know, the tactical professional or a tactical athlete comes down to the individual who has to go ahead and utilize tactile or tactics to keep them alive in high risk situations, ultimately, right? 
So what does that look like? Well, when we talk about a diverse group of individuals who follow softly in the community in which we have, think about it. Guys hunt, guys base base jump, guys work in the military, guys work fire department. They work in all these different professions that require tactics to keep them alive in high-risk environments. Climbers, MMA, like jiu-jitsu, like those kinds of individuals have to develop tactics to keep them alive in high-risk events. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, it comes back down to this idea when we're operating at such high levels in high-risk situations, we need to be able to have that flexibility, transferability, and transparency between wander and rigor because that's what ultimately keeps us alive. Yeah, and, and kind of, the, the, I guess, the other side of the coin as well, properly going full circle is like with with all those professions comes that kind of hyper vigilance like that that kind of state where you always have to be calm and concentrating so like again the importance of play and like down regulation and doing getting getting into that wonder side um is definitely can't be understated dude 100 percent. And, and and i'm glad we kind of were able to come onto the show and talk a little bit about this from from our point of view, especially when it comes down to wander and rigor, independence, autonomy, whatever you want to fucking call it. Um, hmm. Just, it, just it, as a side, sorry, George. Um, for for those guys who aren't familiar with it, the, oh, yeah. the wander and rigor kind of comes from um, uh, a book called The Creativity Leap by Natalie Nixon, and I'll I'll make sure I put the the kind of link to it in the show notes. We've definitely talked about it and made reference to it before, yeah. um, but it was something that. That George was reading what eighteen months ago, something like that. I, I mean, read it. I read it last uh, September, November. Yeah, and and kind of suggested I, I I read it and and kind of take from it. And it's yeah, it's been it's been really insightful, dude. It, it's funny because like when I started reading it, it, it like opened the door to a lot of things that I kind of learned in the military, right? So for example, you know the team building transparency aspect that it talks about in the book. It was the same idea here. It was like, oh shit, like how transparent do you have to be in a, in a mission critical team? You know, you have to be able to know the guy to the left and right of his job just as much as he has to know your job. You have to know, mm-hmm. and, and it's the same thing. And it's like, well, how transparent are you? Because in a workspace yeah. like that, the transparency carries a long way. And what was it like in the book? One of the, like a few Fortune 500 companies actually have. Uh, video cameras in their offices and recording uh, microphones to go ahead and if there's a dispute between something they'll pull that back and be like well you said this and and what's funny is in the there was actually research showing that those who had microphones and video cameras within their workplace again it was legal people signed it said all these other things yeah not some kind of joy joy (laughs) No, 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 like that. Um, It was actually legit. They found that individuals who weren't transparent with themselves and were in a healthy headspace only worked for six months for the company and then left. And it weeded out the individuals that they didn't want. And it kept individuals who were transparent, worked hard, and were fulfilling through their aspect. And they actually were able to create and and mold themselves and structure around this idea of transparency with wander and rigor in work. yeah. which is really fucking cool, right? Because it allows the individuals to then have the access to honestly right work at a more efficient level. I mean, look at look how we work. Yeah. Yeah. No, very true. And and I guess like this probably isn't a green light to put nanny cams all over your house, but but if you think of, if you think of like the um 
like the importance of transparency, like you were saying in, in kind of small team tactical ops, things like that, and in the workplace. Equally, like in in the home space, like within the, the kind of the friend family unit community, however you want to kind of term that, the importance of having the, the transparency and, and open stuff is like that's something that's kind of often not really examined, not really looked at within our world. I, I think that's kind of what supports the the operator, the individual to go out and do all that stuff. So yeah. we kind of need we kind of need to like maybe pay that a bit more attention, I think. I like the fact that you do bring in the social you, you keep talking about the social aspect and the home aspect and I haven't hit on that. But that is a big part of like who I am and part of my wander. Well, right? Yeah, my I was rigor. gonna say yeah, you may be like in this podcast today, but it's always like the first thing that we talk about whenever we like meet online, like what we've been up to and, and kind of how, like how embedded your, your kind of your family unit is in the things you do. Like you kind of, rather than you disappearing for weeks on end to do some ridiculous competition in the mountains, like you go as a family and you'll like make a vacation out of it and you'll, you know, like it's, um, I guess the lines are kind of blurred between Correct. like work and, and, really cool i really like the way that you do that yeah no it, well, it was one of those things man is like you know we talked about it today at breakfast before we jumped on the show because we were talking about it's like man think about that how much someone works and they're gone from their family you know you don't get to see a lot of things in certain in, in your kid's life and i was like well i don't think i agree from that perspective as like that's a bad thing i believe that certain occupations in which we carry have specific consequences and some consequences come with not being able to be around for specific moments all the time some consequences come with potentially putting my life at risk and not no longer being here because that's what my job is i was like there's a variation on that but at the end of the day those consequences all come with a price of survival, meaning that now you're able to fulfill and give your family X, Y, and Z down the road, um, or you'll be mm -hmm. able to give this valuable experience and life, you know, life wisdom to somebody because you were able to experience it. So I was like, ultimately, I, I've kind of changed my perspective of, of on like having to work your ass off to fulfill what you need and your family needs. I think it's 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 needed, but there also needs to be a support system there, like you said as well. And that transparency aspect from a social mm -hmm. standpoint needs to be rock solid. And that's something that I, you know, I never really had to worry about in the military when I was deploying because I wasn't a caterer. I didn't have no kids. I wasn't married. I was just, you know, I think I was, I was engaged um, once going into my last deployment. That didn't work out. But long story short, I didn't have to worry about no one else but myself. When it started coming to Savannah being pregnant and having the kids, all the like having the kids, and like even as being like you know a co-parent to two daughters, you know there was times where if I didn't have them, I didn't have to worry about being out for a long period of time or what that would be like, or how is that gonna how is that gonna fall on 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 the wife now if I'm out for five six hours and she has both the kids today, and how does that play? You know, I never had to think about those things, and then having to be able to detach from it to allow myself to actually do the thing but then come back and have those those transfer uh those those transparency conversations of being like look i understand what this was awesome i loved it thank you and she supports it and then i come back and and do it and again it's not a tit for tat it's just being fully transparent with what it is you enjoy having and i think we we try and do that but i don't think we do it in a very healthy manner for a lot of people i think something that savannah and i have had to do is ha we've had to learn how to communicate in that way because again i don't I 
don't like asking for permission to do things. I just do. So when I have to, when I get told that I have to ask permission to do things, I don't become very happy and I'm like, fuck this. I don't want no part of it. And I'll walk away. Um, again, because I need that wander in my life to fulfill who I am. Cause if I don't get it, what happens? I, like I guess as about, well. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. No, it just happens. It's I, like we end up burning out. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, but having like, I suppose having the self-awareness to know that that might happen, you, it kind of gives you the almost, it almost pre-arms you in that you can, you can kind of figure out a plan to like avoid that situation so that it doesn't come up. Do you know what Correct. I mean? Like you, rather than just like running into a brick wall all the time, you can kind of like, you, you're self-aware enough to know that if X happens, I will probably feel or do Y. So I need to kind of come up with a strategy to stop X happening in the first place. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know if it would be the idea of like trying to not self-sabotage yourself. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause ultimately like we were watching, man, I forgot the name of the movie last night, like after we got done and just quickly watched it, it was like from 2000, it was, it was Matt Damien, Lucas Black. Um, it was like something little ponies. Anyways, really great movie. It's an old Western cowboy movie back in the 2000s. And he uh, he goes, what do you say? Fuck, my mind went blank on that because I was trying to think of the show or the movie. But he talks about the idea of, he was like, what is it like to die, right? And he was like, I never thought about that. I'm too busy like really living or something. He said something like that. Yeah, he was like, yeah. you've said that before in the past. And it like reminded me of like our conversations of like, Hey, stop making life so rigorous and just enjoy it, mm. right? You might see something from that, right? It's like, hey, I'm too busy. Like, yeah. what is it like to die? I've never thought about that. I'm way too busy out here trying to survive. Like, I'm trying just to get hashtag through. Hashtag die living. Yeah, hundred percent. Hashtag die living. <laughs> but it's the idea again, tying these associations of like to really live your life, you need to have a balanced rigor, wander, and that transparency, not just with yourself, but everyone around you to allow for you to do so. You know, like I said, there, we just, the podcast I did with Derek on the EMDR, you know, his psychologist, his therapist literally told his wife was like, yeah, Derek needs to do these things to allow for him to reset cortisone levels and to get him back into his position for him to do something for him to be him mm. and you're like holy shit like yeah, you yeah. just had a doctor sit there and tell a family member yeah he needs to do these things so he does so he can go ahead and be a hundred percent now if he starts to abuse them and he starts taking them and making them more rigorous there's a problem and she didn't use those words but that's just my interpretation of it and it's like oh shit okay cool right because there's a he has enough want, uh, rigor in his life he needs more wonder it's the same thing here mm. right there's and like go for it i, I was just going to say in different language same concept when we when we spoke with Tony Tony Nash, this idea of like being okay to have the the white space, like kind of having enough of a enough breathing room, enough wonder built into the day where you can like be more creative and, and be more kind of analytical, so that when you do come back to the rigor side of things, like the efficiency of that's through the roof, which is then like an upward spiral because if you're more efficient, you then need to spend less time on the rigor, which gives you more time for the wonder, which then makes you more efficient and more analytical. And then like it, it kind of spirals up and up and up. Yeah. And I think there's so many, there's so many different areas within like our, our life within our day that we can, we can kind of apply that to from the kind of the boardroom office environment through to yep. training. Like you were, you were kind of saying with your, with your athlete earlier through to like, um, kind of family dynamics and, and things like that. It's it's that idea of kind of 
like being being smarter, I guess, being more efficient yeah. with, with kind of time and stuff. Yeah. So that's so what I also want to go ahead and point on and move this conversation on to the next thing is like, well, what if I don't have the independence or the wander to go ahead and create wander time in my in, in my life? Right. Because that's a that's a valid question right because a lot of guys are like fuck i don't have time to do x y and z all the time i work this i have to do this correct i totally get it it's now coming into where you structure these wander periods or these wander like sessions or time periods into a a outlook of the next two months or a month especially for those who have a consistent work schedule of 10 hours they do x y and z and all those other things it's like well then all right well you know you get some time off. You know you get to do this. Go ahead and take advantage of those things and create some wander in it, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think I, I used to hate the idea that everyone lives for weekends. I used to think that was the like the shittiest mentality to have until I started looking at it from a wander and rigor standpoint. Yeah. It was like, no, sometimes, unfortunately, there's some individuals who have to work Monday through Friday, eight to five, and the only time they get off is that weekend. So I get that they look forward to it. Now, can you look forward to it and still love what you're doing? Fuck yeah, right? It's like, cool, I don't have to think about work today. I don't have to do anything. I'm just fucking, I have all the autonomy in the world. Yeah, do I have to, I, I get to hang out with my kids. Do I have to go do X, Y, and Z? There's still some control things in there, but ultimately I don't have, I have a little bit more, you know, wandering autonomy and independence for myself for the day. And mm. if you can take advantage of those things, that's awesome, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's the point that goes missing is like, well, I have to do this. It's like, cool, man, I get it. You know, I have, I, I know people who are working seven, eight hours a day plus you know, training for a hundred mile races and they've learned to change their, their mentality to training, to be more of a wander, to break up the monotony of their rigor to the day to where they're able to go ahead and chase the impossible and live a life that they are truly happy in. So I know this conversation in this podcast was a very different one than we've had in the past, but I, I, I think when it comes down to understanding regulation of ourselves and how we, how we manage stress you have to have some kind of connection and association to how you're manipulating and managing that stress throughout the day. And I think this conversation that we just finished having and we're about to close up here ultimately kind of has an overarching theme of that. It was like, look, have some wander stress and have some rigor stress. There's going to be times where that rigor stress is a lot more uh, full than that wander stress. And there's going to be times where that wander stress is a lot more full than the rigor stress. And ultimately it's like, there's going to become a time and place where you have to be able to balance the two. And sometimes, Hey, guess what? You got to pull your, pull your, pull your belt nice and tight, tuck your shirt in and put some gloves on and put your shooter's kit on and get after it. You know, and it's kind of one of those things where it's just like, that's what you need. But again, I enjoy this conversation. Thanks dude for listening to me ramble and kind of throw out this idea and, this whatever it is you want to call it because it's something that's been in my head for some time now and i'm glad that we've been able to kind of sit down and talk shop on it yeah no likewise i I think like more kind of just by by getting ideas out kind of like we've we've kind of talked about from a a physical literal perspective in terms of physically writing stuff down of like developing the the seminar and some of the educational stuff forces you to kind of think through ideas that's exactly that's exactly kind of what what this process is i think so for for the guys listening thanks very much for kind of being our uh, like our sounding board if you like our guinea pigs who are just kind of uh, listening in but potentially if, if people can take two three four things away from from some of the recommendations that, that george has thrown out hopefully just it 
it kind of starts to starts to lift people up a little bit and, and give you a bit of breathing space, do a bit of white space uh, yeah. away from some of that rigor. No, man, it, it's and that's that's kind of the idea here is to again, like I said, when I opened up that one, when you asked that one question, it's like you have to give yourself a little bit of grace. That grace will, you know, just a little bit of grace will give you a lot. So, again, thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. If you have any more uh, questions or information on what we just covered, please email us either george at softly.com or matt at softly.com. Till then, we'll speak to you guys again later.